friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. Thanks for coming this morning. It's good to see you all this morning as we're here to, to worship God. We're going through the series, like Nika said, on beautiful participation. These are things that um, Pastor Tim Keller, um, before he died, he's now seeing God face to face, talked about that we can do better as a church, as a Christian community, and things that he saw after his 45 years in ministry that were problematic within the church. And I'm going to deal with the last thing that Tim said in an interview with Carrie Newhoff, who, um, and when Carrie asked him, hey, Tim, what do you think are the things that are really plaguing Christians and that we could work on? And this is the last thing he said. He said, um, we need to work on our fear. We're afraid of our neighbors for all the wrong reasons. And we're afraid of people. And we have religious fear that we need to overcome. And I thought that was very interesting. So we're going to look into that this morning. Um, so I want to say that the love from God is bigger than religious fear. That's why LFG is greater than RF. And by the way, fear is always religious when it is acted out. Fear is always religious. No matter if people are religious or not, if they act out on fear, it has a religious rhythm to it. And I'll point that out this morning. We all do it. We do it, others do it. And there's a way that God can help us see that and overcome it. Okay. Um, we're going to look first at Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. Uh, this is the translation by um, David Bentley Hart. It's a little bit weird, but it's pretty close. To, the reason I like it, it's, a, it's really close to how it was written. And so when you see the word anointed, it's really the word Lord. But this is Galatians chapter 2. This is Paul's first letter to a region of churches in Turkey when he was evangelizing there. Galatians 2, verses 11 to 21. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was being contemptible. For he ate with the Gentiles before certain men came along with James. And when they had come, however, he withdrew and he separated himself in fear of those from the circumcision and the rest of the Judeans. He also joined him in his theatrical charlatanry, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their dissimulation. But when I saw that they were not proceeding straightforwardly regarding the truth of the good tidings or the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Peter, in front of everyone, if you who are a Judean live as a Gentile and not as a Judean, how is it that you require the Gentiles to become Judean? We who are Judean by lineage and not sinners coming from the Gentiles and who know that a human being is vindicated not by observance of law, but by the faithfulness of the anointed one, Jesus. Even we have placed our faith in the anointed one, Jesus, so that we might be vindicated from the faithfulness of the anointed and not from the observance of the law, because no flesh at all will be vindicated from observance of law. But if all seeking to be vindicated in the anointed, we were also to be sinners ourselves, is the anointed then a minister of sin? Let it not be so. For if I rebuild the very thing I demolished, I contrive to make myself a transgressor. For by the law, I died to law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified along with the anointed, and I live no longer. But the anointed lives within me, and the life I now live in the flesh I live by the faithfulness that is of God's Son, who loves me and delivered himself up on my behalf 
I do not reject God's grace, for if vindication is by the law, then the anointed died for nothing. Now, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Again, the translation by David Bentley Hart. This is the Apostle John's, uh, his last, well, his last three letters to us, and then the book of Revelation, of course. Beloved ones, let us love one another, because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born out of God, and knows God. Whoever does not love has not known God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was made manifest in us, because God has sent His only Son into the cosmos, so that we might live through Him, and here in His love, not that we loved God, but rather that He loved us and sent His Son as atonement for our sins. Beloved ones, if God loved us so, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever looked upon God. If we should love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been made perfect in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has donated to us from His Spirit. And we have seen and attest that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the cosmos. Should anyone confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. And we, we have come to know and have faith in the love that God has in us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Hereby love has been made perfect with us, so that we might have confidence on the day of judgment. Just as he is, so also are we in this cosmos. In love, there is no fear. Rather, the love that is perfect casts out fear, because fears carries chastisement. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love him because he first loved us. If anyone should say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love the God whom he has not seen. And we have this commandment from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and intentions of all of our hearts and minds together be pleasing to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. I was thinking this week about my first week in seminary. And for those that don't know, seminaries where pastors go to get trained to be pastors. And it was in the summer. I had to take summer Greek, intro to Greek. And I had two best friends, Paul Schuler and Eric. Um, and Eric and Paul are both, we all became pastors. We all three became church planters and pastors. And we're all still three pastors to this day. And it's very strange because uh, so many of our colleagues have at one time or another just left and done other things. Um, but what I loved about that class is that we'd go to Greek, we'd ride our bikes, we'd race every day, Eric would stop at the stop signs, Paul and I would never stop at the stop signs, so Eric always came in third. And Eric would remind us, theology is application in life, you have to stop. We'd say, shut up Eric, we're going to win the race, and Paul and I would go through the stop sign and we'd race. Um, but the best thing about that Greek class is that Professor Mawini would sometimes say, hey, tomorrow... Uh, you have to bring just your Greek New Testament. No English translation. And you got to know Galatians 1, Acts 17, Mark 1. And I'm going to call sometime during the class. I'm just going to call on you guys. You guys have to read it. And then translate it without any help. So it was positive peer pressure. Does that make sense? And I thought, oh, no. I hated that. Every time he said, and he always gave us three chapters from some parts of the New Testament. 
Well, I remember sometime in September, I was going through Mark chapter 1. And Mark's a little bit easier than the other parts of, of the New Testament. But what struck me was this. After Jesus appeared in Mark chapter 1, and Mark begins just, you know, boom, he's here. And then he's, he's the Christ. And repent and believe the gospel. And then he's baptized. And Mark says something very strange. Immediately after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Do you remember that? The Spirit drove him in the wilderness, and there he was tempted by Satan. But the word drove is not the word drive. It's the word balo or ekbalo, throw out. And the reason I remember that, I thought, how can I remember balo? Oh, I like throwing a ball. So I was like, okay, if I call that, because I could never remember like, the word cast. But ball is throwing a ball, throwing a ball. He ekbaloed him. He threw him out. And so as soon as Jesus was filled with the very presence of the Spirit and approved by the Father, he was cast out to confront Satan. And what's strange about that word, cast, it's usually used in a very positive sense or a very negative sense. It's the casting out of a demon. It's the casting out of a net to catch fish. It's also casting someone out and excluding them. Does that make sense? It's used in a really redemptive sense, or it's used in an evil sense. I'm going to get back to that in a second, okay? But I just want you to think of the word balo. So now you guys know the word in the New Testament for throw. And ek balo is like super throw, throw out. When you throw out stuff, sometimes that's a good thing, right? When you have junk in the house and you throw it out, it's no good, you feel better. But sometimes you throw out people, and that's not good. So there's a holy balo and there's an unholy balo. The love of God is a, is a holy balo. It's throwing out the things that keep us from loving God. And the unholy balo is not throwing out things. It's throwing out people. How many of you have been afraid and made a decision when you're afraid? Me too. When have you ever heard a TED Talk saying, okay, I was really afraid, I made a decision out of fear, and this is all the good that came out of it? We never do that. No. Fear, fear. When we're afraid, we feel threatened. And when we feel threatened, we need to take care of number one. And that's not Jesus or God or our, our rescue cat or rescue dog. It's us. We take care of ourselves. And when we take care of ourselves, we make decisions based on fear and self-preservation or selfishness. And when that happens, we make decisions and they're bad decisions, but we have good reasons for making them, and those good reasons become really, really good reasons, and then we think we're not even selfish when we do it. We think we're justified. Does that make sense? So one of the, the big book says, in, in terms of addiction recovery, in fact, it's so interesting how the addiction recovery works. Basically what addiction recovery says is that you, your real addiction is to fear and making bad decisions based on selfishness. And you need a different God other than fear. And it can't be yourself. So you've got to call on someone generous. We recommend you call on God. So it promotes repentance and understanding that the addict is not just addicted to a substance, but addicted to a pattern that creates the love for the substance, if that makes any sense. But they're always bad decisions. We always make bad decisions when we're based out of fear. John says something very amazing in his first epistle. Now, John, I think, to me, is the most mature of all the writers of the New Testament. 
John gets made fun of by people. Oh, John is so simple. Love God, love people, blah, blah, blah. When can we get to the harder things of God? When can we get to the meat? John is the meat. John requires maturity. Paul's a little harder to understand. John requires maturity. If, and so John was the last writer. He's basically saying, uh, yes, I know all kinds of theology. Oh, I know Jesus. And this is good theology. This is orthodox theology. And he messes with our categories. John says, if you want to know if someone, if they're in league with God, just ask yourself, are they a loving human being? If they're loving, that comes from God. John is messing with our categories of who is loved by God and who isn't, and who expresses the love of God on purpose. He's doing it on purpose because he's trying to arrest us and get us away from this idolatry of fear. He basically says, God is love, and anyone that is born of God and has that love in them, the love of God casts balo, casts out what? Fear. The love of God casts out fear. So can you go to verse 18? I think it is, Jess. Oh, um, uh, the cosmos is it? I think it's the next verse. Thank you. Oh, there's one more after that. Sorry. There it is. Right. In love, can you do back one more, Jess? John says this. In love, and he's talking about the love of God, there is no what? Fear. What? Rather, the love that is perfect casts out fear because fear carries chastisement or fear brings punishment or fear results in punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love we love him because he first loved us what john says is that when we love god when we have faith in god what is cast out in us and through us is fear because fear involves punishment now what's unusual is that a lot of Christians begin their journey and instead of casting out fear, fear is the main ingredient in their faith. They have faith in God. They have faith in God because they have fear of being punished by God. And John says, oh no, wait a minute. Perfect love casts out fear. How do you have faith in God if, if, if your faith is filled with from the very beginning, that's the main ingredient. Isn't it interesting? But John says, fear, um, the love of God casts out fear because fear carries chastisement. So let's hear John there and then let's look at the story of Paul's life and you'll see how this acts out. Now here's what's interesting. Even though we love God, and I know that you all love God, or we're attempting to, because we all know that God loves us. And if you don't know that, it's real even if you don't feel it. It just is. It's like gravity. He loves you. And you don't have to prove anything. He can't help himself. He just does. And, but he wants us to cast out fear. Because fear involves punishment, or fear carries chastisement. And when he says fear carries chastisement, what he's basically saying is, those who act out of fear will also carry out chastisement, will also punish. 
Because we begin to imitate what we think God is like. We begin to do those things out of fear. So hold that thought, and let me tell you about the Apostle Paul. In Galatians chapter 2, you guys know that the Apostle Paul was not a Jesus lover in the book of Acts at first. He was a Jesus hater under the guise of loving God. He read the Bible and got it completely wrong. Jesus arrested him on the road to Damascus, and on the road to Damascus, Paul was introduced to Jesus by Jesus. He believed in him. He became an apostle chosen by Jesus. And he tells us in the book of Galatians that when Jesus called him to serve him, he went away to Arabia for a little while. Then he came back to Damascus. Then after three years, he went to Jerusalem and he saw Peter. And Peter said, I think you're okay. Then 14 years later, he again went to Jerusalem and Peter and James and John all said, Paul, you go to the Gentiles and we will go to the Jews. So 17 years plus maybe another two, one or two years. By the way, what was Peter, what was Paul doing in Arabia? I think that Jesus himself was ministering to Paul in Arabia. And he came back. So he was an apostle at least for 18 years. And then he tells us in, in the book of Galatians, this is what happens. Peter's giving the gospel to Jews. Paul's giving the gospel to Gentiles. God loves Jews and Gentiles. There is no wall of division between them. They all are deserving of the love of God. And this is what happened according to Paul. Paul went to Antioch. And at Antioch, but when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was being contemptible. What did Peter do, this great apostle? What could he do that was so bad? For he ate with the Gentiles before certain men came along with James. Now, what does that mean? James is the brother of the Lord. It says that these guys came, and James was not this way, because we know by his letter he was not this way. But some men came and said, well, if you're really going to be a holy Christian, you can't have any community with, with Gentiles, Paul. I mean, Peter. You can't like Gentile people. You need to stay away from them if you're going to be holy. You need to separate yourself. You need to exclude them. You need to follow them. Cast them out. And Peter thought, oh, 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 okay. When they had come, however, he withdrew and he separated himself in fear. He acted in fear, not in love. And in fear, Peter, who's the apostle, the greatest one of the, the leader of the church, refused to actually eat with non-Jewish people. After 18 years of being an apostle, fear gripped even Peter. He was being a hypocrite. And he was such a hypocrite, his, his theatrical charlatanry was so good that even Barnabas, Paul's best friend, thought, well, if it means to be a Christian, not to eat with Gentiles, I'm going to do what Peter does and not eat with Gentiles. He was acting out of fear. And here's Paul, this younger apostle, still 18 years an apostle. He saw this and he came to Peter and he said, uh, hey, friend, Stop it. What? I'm Peter. I know, I'm Paul. You know better than this. You're acting out of fear. You're not acting out of love. If you want to convince the Gentiles to be Christian, why are you acting like a pagan? Why are you acting out of hate? They're not, they're not enthused by what you're doing. This is not in keeping, notice what he says, this is not in keeping with the gospel. This is not good news. 
So what, what Paul did, he confronted the fear with the love of God. He confronted it faced on. How hard that must that have been? Now think about Paul for a second. He was convicted of murder. He never was tried for it. Oh yeah, he, he was involved in the stoning of Stephen. Never tried for it. And then he became a Christian, and then he became a leader in the church. How would you like if, if Nike and I said to you, hey, listen, we got a great pastoral candidate. God chose this person. They admitted to kidding, uh, murder, but they never went to jail. But we think that they have the blessing of God. Welcome your new associate pastor. You guys would say, you've got to be kidding me. That's how Paul felt. Like, totally unqualified. Everywhere he said, that, I'm, I'm an untimely apostle. I'm unqualified. But imagine that person coming to me and saying, Mark, you need to grow up. You're not acting mature. Whoa, that takes a lot of guts, a lot of love. That's exactly what Paul did to Peter. He confronted him with love and said, you are acting out of fear. You're acting out of fear. And your fear is so religious and so contagious that you got other people involved. This is not in keeping with the gospel. So Paul lovingly confronted his friend, and Peter, I think, learned how to love better. Now, does that make sense? Okay, but let's talk more about how fear works. Fear has a religious component to it. It's always religious. This is how fear works. The, the opening song, the opening worship song of fear is this. I need to protect myself. I need to protect myself. That's the opening hymn of fear. I am scared, I need to protect myself, I need to find the bad person, and it's not me, it's that, or them. That's the second hymn. And we find them, and we find all the reasons why they're the problem. And then we back it up with rational logic, or Bible verses. And then we do evangelism. Anyone else see what I see? They're the bad people. We're the good people. Do I get an amen? Yes, amen. Let's cast them out. Oh, and then the chorus happens. And we feel united to other people that are afraid just like us. And we feel so close to God. Do you see how fear works that way? That's exactly what happened to, to, to Peter. I hate Gentiles. I, oh, I do too. Let's all hate them. Let's find a verse in the Bible that says Gentiles are bad. There's a few in there. We got them. Good. God's on our side. Kick them out. And they felt peace in the midst of this fear. But it was not a good peace. It was bad peace. It was false peace. It was a lie. But that's how fear works. Well, how do you overcome fear? You listen to loving people that say, you know what, that's not according to Jesus. Wow. Oh. You have to love them. God loves you. You've got to grow up. And Peter, Peter grew up. What if, what if we actually believed that love casts out fear? And here's the thing about fear that's so interesting. Fear never acts afraid. Fear really acts confident. Do you think when, when Peter was afraid, he was saying, I really want to like Gentiles, but I just can't. I just need, I'm like the cowardly lion. I just need more courage to like them. 
if I want to. Oh, no, he's like, no, there's biblical reasons for not liking them. We've got to keep them out. I got Bible verses on this. I'm, I'm confident. They're bad people. Amen to that. Amen to that. Fear comes across very confident. It doesn't come across afraid. It comes confident with all kinds of beliefs. Peter had all kinds of beliefs to hate Gentiles. And Paul said, you know what? I know I'm not qualified. You've been an apostle longer than me, but you're not according to love. And here's the deal. You can give me all kinds of beliefs and doctrines. I'm going to give you Jesus. I'm going to give you Jesus. And Jesus says to love, and you, my friend, need to grow up. Because you're not grown up right now. You're afraid. Even with all your verses, you're afraid. Because perfect love casts out fear. And you're acting out of fear. And fear is contagious. Sometimes my wife and I, at night, we'll... She'll look at something and she starts to laugh. And I'll say, what are you looking at? And then she'll show me and I start laughing. Have you guys ever seen those, those, those TikTok or those, those Instagram things where someone, like they're, they're filming themselves in the living room and then a loved one will act like there's some sort of flying creature behind someone else? And they go, <laughs> and people go, what, what is it? What is it? What is it? And there's nothing there. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. It's It's hysterical. But what happens when people are afraid, it provokes the same kind of, oh no, self-preservation in other people. And it's very contagious. It's very contagious. Now that's cute. What isn't cute is this, when lives are at stake. And I think a lot of the Christian life, unfortunately, Tim is right, is built on fear. Tim Keller is right. It's built on fear. And that fear um, does not come across as afraid. It comes across as those people are not allowed to communion. Those kind of people, those people, women, are not allowed to teach. Be afraid if they do. It's not biblical. It is biblical. But be afraid now to be afraid. Those kind of people are bad kind of people. And Paul says, we need to listen to John. And John says we need to listen to Jesus. And Jesus says the most mature thing we can do is love one another. And perfect love casts out fear. Now here's the thing that should give us soft eyes. People that are in the grip of fear act very arrogant. They have reasons for acting fearful. Biblical reasons. Doctrinal reasons. That's no excuse. And we have to love them because you know what? We do the same thing. And the reason this is in the scripture is if it can get an apostle, it can get you. It can get me. On any given day, you and I can be gripped by fear that is more profound than the love of God. It takes great courage to love God and love your neighbor. It takes little courage to bow to fear. It takes little curiosity. It takes little hope. People that love provoke us to love. It's hard to confront someone that you admire as a Christian when they're bowing their knee to fear. It's hard because they may resist. I have Bible verses. I've got my reasons. But the best thing you can do, the best thing I can do is say, I love you but you're not being mature here. Please, for the sake of Jesus, let the Holy Spirit do its work in you.
and casting out fear. I think that's the biggest part that we have to do in changing the world. You know, when I said I want to start the way I ended, I'm going to end that way. When Jesus was baptized, and of course he, he, the, the Holy Spirit was already in him, but at the beginning of his ministry, the first thing he did is he confronted Satan. You know what the word Satan means? I think I've told you that. Guess what it means? To cast out, to expel, to accuse. The most evil thing we can do is to give in to a spirit of fear that casts out people. Any kind of people. Casting them out. That's what Satan does. Not what Jesus does. And I think part of us as Christians is that we need to go into circumstances and say, you know what? When you make fun of the love of God and call it, when you call it childish, that is code for I don't want to follow orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is loving God and loving your neighbor, period. And if you have reasons not to love someone, that is not from God. That doesn't mean like them, doesn't mean trust them, doesn't mean to be in communion with them because sometimes when you've been victimized by folks, you just don't want to deal with them. That's okay. You shouldn't have to. You have to have boundaries, but you must love them, which is want what's best for them, which is that they would repent and love God. But if we refuse to love, it's because we've given in to fear. And fear, when it gets in, just makes us make really bad decisions. Makes us make horrible decisions. I think it makes it easier if you find someone that you have difficulty loving, knowing that God loves them. And that someone loves them. Um, There are certain people internationally, nationally, that I have a hard time liking. They're the kind of people that if they were to break down on a road with a flat tire, I would lovingly pass up. Especially right now in the hot desert when someone's like, oh, you're in the car? Oh, now you know what it feels like. This is the way you treat people. Bye-bye. That's what I want to do, but why don't I do that? Here's what I think of. When I think of people that I have a hard time loving, I begin to other them. I have doctrines for not loving them. I've got a list of their crimes in this hand, and I've got a list of these things they've done wrong over here. I've got my biblical reasons, but I need to put those down and realize they're a barrel of monkeys. Remember that game, Barrel of Monkeys? Okay, remember that Barrel of Monkeys is that little game that has, it's a plastic, you know, like a barrel, and you dump out the monkeys that all have this connecting arm, and you've got to pick up one monkey to pick up the next one to pick up the next one, and you've got to see how many monkeys you can pick up. I, I got up to 10. Try that. I could probably do now, now that I'm an adult, but I used to love doing the barrel of monkeys. Now, this is what I think about when people that I don't like. I think about barrel of monkeys. They're like the middle monkey with five or six other monkeys on either side. As difficult as they are, there are people that love that bad person. There's someone that cares for them. There's someone that, there's a nephew that looks up to to that aunt. There's a child that looks up to that dad. There's a mother that loves that son. As bad as they are, there are people that that love them that I probably will like. And if I don't love them, I'm not liking that person who's connected to them. I can't dehumanize them anymore. And when fear comes in, what we happen to do is that we dehumanize people. They become a wrong teaching, a wrong doctrine, a wrong belief system, a wrong behavior. We other them. We don't humanize them. And the reason that love is so hard to do is that it forces us to see what's important to God. Relationships. 
And it also forces us to realize that, that we're motivated. Not be, God doesn't love us because he has to. He wants to. And he really gave his son for us to give us this love so that we can go into the world and cast out all these, these fearful things. And we're not motivated by judgment. We're motivated because we want to be like our Father in heaven and like his son, the Lord Jesus. Fear is not an ingredient in the faith of a Christian because perfect love kicks it out. And we're not taught that. But the Apostle John wrote this towards the end of his life because he, want, he saw the problems and said, faith in Jesus means kicking out fear. Not keeping it as a key ingredient in faith. If it's a key ingredient in faith, it messes things up. The love of God and love from God is greater than fear. And there's no Bible verse that can triumph over that. You know why? Because God is love. Period. What good news that is for the world. What good news that is for us. I love you guys. And when fear comes up in your heart, it's okay. Kick it out. Don't entertain it. Call it what it is. It's demonic. It's not healthy. It's demonic. Kick it out. Get rid of it. Give it to Jesus. Let him swallow it up, just like he swallows up all the bad things. He's the sin eater. Let him eat it up for you. He loves you. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that perfect love casts out fear. And for many of us, in our imagination and through sermons we've heard, we think that a key ingredient in our faith is to be afraid of you. And we know from hearing the apostle and from hearing him talk about Jesus and telling us what Jesus already told us, that that's not the case. So would you please help us prioritize your love? And when we encounter fear, give us the grace to love people that are trapped in it. Give us the grace to love ourselves when we're trapped in it. And Lord Jesus, you are our great deliverer. Please free us from that fear to yourself. We pray in your name. Amen.